Yo, what's up? Everybody, what's happening? Okay. Uh, Ishan, I sent you a co-host invite there. I don't know if it got it or not. Um, there's always a delay, I swear. <laughs> it's like every time you request, Ishan, I think it like messes up. The, all right, I'm going to have to call all y'all out right now. Ain't none of you got a spooky name right now. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> you what? I totally missed that. Is that the pumpkin? Name. Yeah. I got a pumpkin and a ghost. You, you oh. guys got nothing. <laughs> I ain't got nothing but me and my face and my name. About it. It's you're you're like you know you're like you're like when I go to the grocery store and they're already putting out the Halloween, you know, <laughs> in, in October. Stuff. Yeah, no, no, no. October. That's where they put out Halloween right. stuff in October. It's, yeah, it's like good gosh. No, I'm there's already gonna... Christmas stuff yeah. everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey man, I can't keep up. It's. It's a pretty appropriate. It's you have a Halloween thing in October. You change it to a turkey in Thanksgiving, and then it's snowing in December. Like it's it's pretty simple. You know, it just, right. yeah, maybe it just feels overwhelming. Scott, I'll let you keep going. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> hey, thank you all so much for joining us today. Man, I'm so super excited for today. Can you believe this, guys? Okay, so I want to say, like, um, you know how, like, you can go on and, and you can click on, like, the uh, reminder for uh, a particular space that you want to remind yourself to be a part of, right? Well, not everybody really does that, right? Like a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, I'll go to that. I know it's coming up, right? But what's really cool is, you know, I guess on average, uh, you know, we, we average about eight, seven or eight people to actually click that button, right? Just from past, right? Um, and, and our highest has been like maybe 13 or something like that. But, you know, we, this whole thing that Anthony helped set up here, by the way, uh, with Peter, which um, is he in here yet? I'm not seeing him yet. Uh, he will be here soon. We got three other people from Snapple, though. You can tell by their yeah. suspiciously similar-looking <laughs> avatars. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of people in here. But anyway, 34 people clicked that button to remind themselves of this place today, right here, this space. Yeah, kind of crazy cool. I don't know. Anyway, and I also want to give a huge shout out to uh, Anthony as well and his podcast FS Jam, who is potentially up for in the running huh yeah uh, it's, it's up for this it's not potential yes, it's actual it the, the yes, winning right. is potential the nomination is, go ahead is tell final. us tell us anthony what is it yeah so the, it's the jammies you know everyone yeah i get some nice jammies when you're going to bed you put your jammies on they're nice and comfortable so these are the awards for the best pajama theme. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you just totally carried that one out. So this is the Jamstack.com. They have awards. This is funny, actually. So they're like for websites and projects and frameworks and podcasts and live streams and video creators. Redwood actually won a jammy in 2020, little known fact. So this would be my second jammy if I happen to win this award. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's just a thing that Lofi puts on for Jamstack.com too. You know, kind of give some shout outs to people in the industry who are doing yeah. cool Jamstacky stuff. And actually, I got to really give them props. The description they wrote for FS Jam was amazing. If you go to the... Yeah, it was pretty dope. I was like, oh, oh good. Yeah, I, I thought it was really great. So if you go to, um, actually, hold on, we have a, we have a thing for this. FSJam.org forward slash vote. And it'll take you straight to us. 
and auto selects us as your vote. <laughs> Do so, it. All right, y'all. And so, then you'll see a little description there for, for what it is. org forward slash vote. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Awesome. Go check it out, guys. And you don't have to vote for them. But also, all three <laughs> a snap of people who are here, send Peter a message and, and get him over here. I'm sure he's on his way. He's on. Right, so yo. I'm on Discord with him right now. He thinks he's in this. He says, I'm in here. What? Um, yeah. Oh, That's interesting. crazy. Yeah. He's very it, confused. It, in our private Discord, you can, you'll, you'll see the message. I'm, I'm pinging him right now. Yeah. Just send him the link. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, anyway, I'm so excited, guys. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you for sharing that. Um, if y'all want to vote for Anthony, head it over there. Check it out. And by the way, check out their podcast, too. FSP. Good stuff. Ishan and I have been on there a couple times. Well, at least Ishan has. I've been on there once. No, no you've technically been on twice. Yeah, yeah, I've been on twice. You both have been on twice. I guess yeah. so. Yep. Anyway, awesome stuff. All right, so what is this? This is JavaScript Jam live. Yeah, live. We are live. Uh, we do this every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Daylight Time, whatever you want to call it. It's a Pacific time, specifically Pacific. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> see what I did there? Um, yeah, we talk about everything and anything JavaScript on here and web development. Uh, speaking of which, we're going to be having Peter on here to talk about lots of awesome things, innovative technology. Yeah. Why? Because that's what we do talk about innovative things on here fun stuff things that are gonna bring value to you i promise you're gonna leave here with some value today mind blown mind blown in fact actually ishan has messed around with this thing a little bit so we're gonna hear more on that later i'm sure but uh if you're a beginner you know what we'd love to hear from you if you're an advanced member of the crew here we still want to hear from you too whether you've been doing this for a little bit or for a very long time we want to hear from you. In fact, we love it when things are a little bit audience-driven, okay? So feel free to request to come up here, and we'll bring you up. You can ask questions. You can put your, state your opinion. You can uh, do all that kind of fun stuff. So, um, yeah, just so excited to hear from everybody today. All right, Ishan. He is, by the way, Ishan is our co-host here, and I just want to turn the mic over to him to continue this amazing time that we have together. Yeah, could you uh, jump into uh, the Discord? Because I'm actually helping troubleshoot yeah. with Peter. He thinks yep. he's he says he's he's in, um, right. but I still don't see him. Maybe he's in, in the under listeners. another name. Uh, yeah, maybe he's on a different Twitter account. Right. Oh yeah, uh, are you in under a different Twitter account? You know, so this actually reminds me. Um, this is like you're you're hearing us you know, solve these problems real time. Uh, really? You know, with Twitter is. spaces, we, I was just on a Twitter space last night. Oh, yeah. That uh, Dan Abramov was hosting Mr. React himself. Yeah. Um, and it was a little just reassuring to hear, you know, the same type of troubles we have with, with you know, the user experience of Twitter spaces, um, which is, Great product in some ways, but the user experience for people who first come on, like, oh, how do I manage all these requests? What do I do next? And then, you know, the biggest classic one, um, oh, he's on Twitter Lite. Yeah, hmm. that, that might be a problem. Like, if you join via browser, uh, yeah, regular 
native yeah, Twitter client. Native phone app. You like you cannot join from the browser if you're going to be a speaker. Well, you, you right, need you can to join, join from the browser. The yes, you can't speak. You can't speak. <laughs> so if you join from the browser, you still see him. So I true. Don't yes, that's he's true. Join through some crazy Twitter bootleg thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> bootleg. Uh, but it, I I feel like like 50% of guests we've had on JavaScript Jam Live, this has been an issue. We should, you know, when we did the the formal podcast, we used to have like an onboarding document yeah, we would yeah. send to guests. I feel like we need to do that same template again. Like, It's true. This is actually this. even yeah. more challenging than just hopping onto like a Riverside or something. <laughs> it's, it's newer and like... <laughs> Yeah. There's weird things about it in terms of, like anyone can yeah. record like on a Riverside, I guess, and cast that's pretty free foolproof. Uh Twitter spaces aren't quite there yet. No, actually I'll I'll disagree. It was it was the same it was like the flip side of the problem. Like anyone can join Riverside from their Chrome browser, but then you have somebody think they can do it from mobile and then it doesn't work. That's true. Uh, so Well you know what? Like, I yeah. say, you know, just like that song, you know, no worry. Uh-huh. Yeah, don't worry about a thing. Yeah, okay. we'll, we'll get yeah. there. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Every okay, little yeah. thing is going to be all right. Yeah. So, um, right. so Peter says he's he's getting here. Awesome. Uh, he said he's almost there, so that's great. I'm looking forward to that. And the topic we're going to talk about today with uh, Peter is basically this, this work that he did uh, along with the rest of the team from Snaplet and Superbase um, to run Postgres server in your browser. We're going to talk about how yeah, they I did it, Snaplet why you don't do it. Also before we yeah. get to that. I'm, yeah. I'm bringing up a... Uh, we got the man. man yeah. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, and the, he's still coming up here. So Snaplet itself is a tool to allow you to take your entire production database dump it onto your machine for local testing, but without PII, personally identifiable information. So it's both a database seeding tool, it's a local database testing tool, and it's also a way to do that in a way where it respects users' privacy and doesn't get you a large seven-figure fine from some angry European nation. <laughs> or all of them, since they now all have this block called the EU. Um, welcome, Peter. Peter, welcome. Oh, you got to hit a, the mic button on the bottom left. You're muted. Whenever you're ready. So this means that by definition, this has to be Peter's first Twitter space he's ever spoken on. It might be because he's on Twitter <laughs> Lite and he's never used Twitter Space. Yeah. <laughs> This is why we're we're getting him to try some new things. I was <laughs> talking to my partner, I'm like, this is the creator of oh, no. don't ever let you let We lost that. him. Just because someone can code knows that they know how to use tech. <laughs> He's back. He's back. This is gonna this is good. There we go. I sent you the invite there. It's good, sir. People are well, you know, the other thing that, waiting here. that affects the usability is just the latency. Oh, like yeah. people will say, I've invited you, and it still takes about five or 10 seconds sometimes for right. you to see it. Yeah, and right. it's, it's very interesting. Like they've made the audio real time, but the other piece is like, and that causes uh, confusion. Um, and he's jumped off and on a couple times. He might have, yeah, he might, he might have internet issues also because um, if he is in South Africa right now, there's, we recorded a podcast with him once where he like <laughs> was just out in the middle of nowhere. 
Got it. Well, at least there's no video on the bounce, huh? Yeah. Okay, let's see if we can get him back. Are you? Yeah, I, I did. You yeah. sent him the invite. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I've been pinging back and forth here. Just jump, jumping in and out. Well, like I said, it was reassuring to, to listen to other people uh, have the same challenges hey. uh, on the, the space <gasps> yesterday. Hey. We got him. We got him. Turn that mic back on. All right. All right. I, I felt like an extreme version of a boomer right now because. <laughs> Actually, I, I think my nickname is Mr. Boomer on on our Discord, or I've, I've tried to get people to call me that, but that was that was challenging, seriously challenging, <laughs> like, ridiculous. Yeah. Well, you should see me try to use Snapchat. If you think that looks looks bad, it's probably even worse. If I, I mean, that. honestly, the yeah. user interface on this is not the greatest, but so. yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. It, it wouldn't work with my headphones, and so I, I couldn't hear anyone. It wanted me to speak and engage, but I couldn't hear anyone. So I had, I'm, I'm just holding my phone in my hand now, like uh, like someone that's got nothing to do. Oh man, um, do you want uh, do you want like another minute to see if you get your headphones to connect, or or should we just keep going? Uh, yeah, we can just keep going. It's totally fine. Um, the weird noises that you hear in the background of the chair that I'm sitting on. Um, okay. Sorry about that. Don't worry about it. It's it's all so much fun here. We're just very yeah. laid back. It's very open mic ish. I mean, we're just we're just gonna have a good time. Chat about Snaplet. Chat about Postgres and Wasm. And yeah, and the amazing innovations that that have been going on in your brain. <laughs> yeah. So you know the way we usually structure this is to try to be as audience driven as possible. So, um, you know, for maybe about the first half of it, we'll do kind of you know, you and I and the other speakers chatting. And then the second half, we'll open it up to the audience. They can raise their hand. They can come up, ask you questions, and it, it can be audience-driven. Um, and just maybe... one one yeah, quick thing, ahead. Peter. You should keep yourself muted when you're not talking, because otherwise we're hearing their audio feedback through your own microphone. Just a heads up on that. Got it. Yeah. All, all well, though. Continue on. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe you want to just say over when you're done no uh <laughs> like it's uh it's funny how far technology progresses and, and yet does it um so you know just to start out with we, i you know i want to just talk about what you guys did and jump to that um and just you know again for the audience what you guys is you took the database wasm um and you open source an implementation of it that runs literally in your browser and I want to get to why that's so cool and so interesting. But before we do that, can you just spend, you know, a few minutes just talking about yourself and your background, you know, especially as it relates to Redwood JS, um, before we jump into the the work you and the folks at Snaplet and Superbase did? Sure, thanks. Um, so my name is Peter. I'm App Factory on Twitter. Uh, the reason why I have that handle is because I'm a old school iOS developer. Um, that transitioned to web development. And um, I had the opportunity to work for a company called Chatterbug uh, with Scott uh, Scott Catone and Tom Preston Warner, who are the founders of GitHub. Um, and I just got to know them after a while. And Tom invited me to create a, a framework with him called Redwood JS, which I started on about two years ago. Um, and after that, I built a company called Snaplet. And we, we give developers data 
to code against. So if you've ever been in a scenario where you wanted something that looked like production data and you didn't have it, um, we built a tool that will, will make that accessible to you. Very That's cool. In a nutshell. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I'll just, you know, Redwood JS is, you know, that part of that avant-garde of, of Jamstack or full stack Jamstack frameworks. Um, you know, I know you've talked about it uh, on, on FS Jam uh, before, so people can tune in there, which again, as we mentioned earlier, is nominated for a Jammy. And I do want to talk a little bit more about Snaplet uh, again towards the end, but let's talk next about, you know, what it is you built and how it started. So you guys basically, as I mentioned, took your da typical database server, you ran in the browser, um, you guys were inspired by somebody else who did it, but they didn't open source it. And you put out kind of this request for contributors. You want to just walk us through, um, you know, your view of what you did, um, how it came to be, and then we can talk about the architecture and, and maybe why somebody would want to do that. But first, just give us kind of the, the quick summary of what you guys did and how it came to be. Sure. So I think, first off, I just want to uh, point out that there's a person on this call named Julian and Kaya, and they work for Snaplet. And Julian and Kaya were actually the people who built this. Um, I was just kind of there, the cheerleader and the inspiration to make it work or make it happen. But they did all the work. Definitely bring them up. <clears throat> yeah, I think Julian. Uh, yeah, let's bring them up has some really interesting perspectives, but, but maybe a bit shy, uh, optional, optional. All right, well, I sent the invites and they can come up with the like. Cool, cool. So yeah, about five or six weeks ago, there was this crunchy data post where they had put Postgres into the browser. Um, and they used it as like kind of a playground where you could learn, learn, learn Postgres or Postgres techniques. And it's really a wonderful piece of technology. It's super intuitive to get started. You can learn a whole bunch about PostgreSQL and um, it just feels good. Like it feels good not to have to install Postgres on your machine. Uh, that's always a bit of a challenge and it's, you're, you're kind of like not really sure if it's going to work or not uh, when you reboot your computer. I don't know if anyone's ever had that on Mac OS. You restart your machine and your Postgres doesn't start up. And you have to like delete some PID file. Anyway, it's annoying. This is actually yeah. why I, I will just spin up an entire database on Railway because you can do it for free and it'll last for 24 hours. I would do that and test that just because it's like so much simpler for me. And if I want, then I'll just like can persist it and pay like a dollar a month for it. I will do that instead of just running Postgres on my computer because it's so freaking obnoxious. Anthony, you, what you should be doing, and I know, no, not this thing, Railway, they're amazing, but you, you should snap be running Snaplet DB Create, and then you'll have one, and it will last forever, but it will go <laughs> to sleep when you don't use it, and it will start back up when you start using it. Can also, I deploy it? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll try that. <laughs> yeah, so getting back to the story of, uh, of uh, Postgres, and we were kind of inspired by that, and in the Hacker News post, I asked for people to join me in building an open source version of that. I just thought it was super interesting technology and I wanted to see how it worked. Um, and Crunchy Data was sort of bare bones on the on the details. Uh, so I just put out this tweet and I was like, oh, not a tweet, just a comment. And it got 
zero traction, like not a single upvote, not a single reply. No one responded to me. But then um, uh, Paul Copplestone, the CEO of Superbase, he like sent me like a single emoji, like the hand raised emoji with a screenshot of that, of what I said. Uh, and we almost immediately got started working with uh, a guy named Mark um, from Superbase and then a few of the team members on, at Snaplet. Um, yeah, and then we built this open source version of Postgres that runs in your browser. Um, yeah. So I, I just want to underscore for people just how cool and mind-blowing this is. You know, when we're used to web apps that run in your browser, you know, you see the interface in your browser, but the server is sitting out there in the cloud somewhere. Here, the database itself is running inside your browser. Like, we'll get into, it goes out to the network because of, you know, some sandboxing limitations. But literally, all the code to run the database is literally running in that browser window. You're running a whole server in your browser tab in Chrome, effectively. Well, not a whole server, because we, we don't have Node there, which is one thing I want to get to. Um, and that's that's what's so amazingly cool. And this was made possible by, you know, this technology, WebAssembly, which we'll get to in a second. But before we do that, you know, just tell people, you know, what are the use cases and why you think this is so cool and, and why it's so mind-blowing? And what attracted you so much to say, we need an open source, the community needs an open source version of this. So so for me, I have a, I have a very specific use comes to Snapit that mm -hmm. captures snapshots of your production database, um, transforms the data, and then allows you to use it in different environments. So what, what I wanted to have was an environment where you literally could just open up a web page and then explore the data that you captured. Um, and we, we work exclusively against Postgres at the moment. Um, so for me, it like has this really real use case. You want data. Uh, but you need a database to run it in, and now you have one in your browser. So there are limitations in that you can't connect to it externally without a proxy. Um, that's just the nature of a web browser, um, it being isolated and unable to do raw TCP or UDP sockets. Uh, but there are ways around that, and I think it will improve over time. Um, yeah, so, so like I think a lot of the more obvious use cases are you can uh, build tutorials against it, um, you can test out extensions, you can yeah I think a lot of educational uses uh, and I would love love to see a world where you can actually code against this um, just in your browser like don't have to install anything just open up a tab, run Postgres, open up another tab, uh, run a web server. Yeah. You know, to make that concrete for the audience, it's like, it feels like with WebAssembly over the last 12, 24 months, we've been getting these, call it postcards from the future, where that future was, is something like, instead of installing, you know, running all these commands to get a dev environment up and running, you just, just like you're used to opening a new browser tab to go and create a new instance to search Google, you open a new browser tab to create, you know, your dev environment. And that includes the editor, that includes the server, that includes the database. And you can just start coding. And then if you want to code against one from a week ago to see how the bug happened, you open a new tab and go to a URL and it gives you all of the server, 
code and the dev environment and everything, and maybe where the bug was happening from a crash report right there, and you can just sit and debug it right in your browser. Um, that feels like the future we're headed to, and you know what you guys have done, along with you know I think of some others like StackBlitz, feel like those those postcards from the future that are just saying, hey, it's going to be really great uh, down the line, and you guys are you know pushing that future forward. Yeah, you know, I, I love that you're giving us so much credit. Um, yeah, but it really feels like we, our first job was to discover uh, how to glue the pieces together, build anything fun. Almost like we cheated to a degree. Um, and just to give you some perspective on that, like we built this on top of a project called V eighty six, which emulates a, a CPU and like a whole bunch of stuff in the browser. And we're really running Linux in your browser. So if you went to, um, if you open up the WASM demo now, which is like postgres-wasm.netify.com, and you control C out of that uh, Postgres terminal, you'll be in a, a, a virtual a virtual environment, um, like a Linux machine running in your browser. Uh, so really anything is possible. If well, most things are possible. Um, and that wasn't us. We're, we built this on top of the backs of amazing open source projects, uh, v86.js. Um, and then we optimized for, for size. Uh, so we used this project called, uh, sorry, uh, what is it called? I'm dropping a lot of a lot of links for these things he's mentioning in the chat, so people scroll down, you'll see some of the stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. and I put it. Uh, I put the. I'm linking them all at the top. We use we use something called Bold Root, uh, which gives you it's it's meant for embedded Linux, uh, so it gives you these tiny images, and that's uh, we use that to optimize space. And we have like a 12 megabyte image. Um, and what's interesting is not actually the image itself; it's actually the at a certain point in time that we snapshot shotted and that's what we're giving you um not like it it doesn't boot up it's just the state of of the cpu and the memory at that point in time and that's what we are giving you if that makes sense like the difference there and it's really cool to consider you could pause the state at any point in time and restore it uh, at any point in time that feels like a superpower to me yeah, I so I unfortunately uh, lost connection briefly during that, but I think I caught up to what you were talking about, which is you're saying you're stood on the the shoulders of giants. You were mentioning, you know, uh, the x86 or v86 emulator that you guys packaged it into, and then you're talking about how rather than you know you starting with a fresh image which runs the program from the beginning, it's like you you took the application after it was done booting, froze that in a time slice, and then you get to basically unfreeze that whenever you load the browser, the, the version of it in the browser, which is, I totally agree, an amazing superpower. So it's a way of avoiding kind of the boot up time. Somebody's already taken that for you. Um, it's kind of like, you know, in Jamstack, when you build the pages ahead of time, so you don't have to render them when somebody requests them, you're basically taking the boot up time ahead of time. So when somebody starts this in their browser, it's starting from that context already there. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really amazing. So, you know, the key thing there in how it's architecturally built that, that I thought was fascinating is rather than, you know, with a lot of WASM, 
Um, and maybe we should tell people what WASM is first. Uh, but uh, let's start there, actually. Just for the audience, you want to briefly describe what WASM is? Um, so I'm probably not an expert on WASM, but I can give you like a butchered, my butchered understanding of what it yeah. is. Um, WASM is a, is a runtime for that run, that actually I don't, I don't know this well enough to give you a good, a good description. I mean, I can, I can give you like the WASM, the WASM 101. I'm not a WASM expert, but I've spent five years listening to podcasts about it. Yes. It's a way to have a native binary like assembly code in the browser that is not JavaScript. So it may compile down to something that is basically JavaScript anyway. So I'm not really sure like what it actually compiles down to quite literally, but the important thing is that it allows developers to write other languages and have that language run in the browser. Like that's that's the whole the whole deal. And so that so, means that language can be Rust or yeah, I was going to pause myself. I, I was also going in that direction with the browser part, but it's more than that. It's just like you can run it outside of the browser too. Um, it's a, yes. yes, it's a generic runtime, correct? That can be run on the server. So that's WASI. So WASI is an important part of this that people are now going to use it as like a Docker replacement. So yes, that is true as well. Is another interesting facet of it. You know, the the one-line sentence I like to say is sometimes it's what Java was supposed to be. Um, That's you know, pretty good. It's, it's, um, and maybe I'm, I'm dating myself on that, but it's this write once, run anywhere, finally. And I think the biggest misconception web devs have about WASM is they're like, oh, do I write WASM now for my web application? And it's more that, it's a compile time target for other languages, as you were talking about, Anthony. It's like, it's a way to take your native applications that you might write for iOS or something like Photoshop. Talk about Photoshop in the browser or Figma, who just got acquired for, you know, billions of dollars and say, hey, you can take that native application. You can run the browser if you just compile it down to this format rather than compile it down to x86 instructions or native machine code. Uh, it's native machine code that runs everywhere in the browser and in a variety of other environments, as as you guys alluded to. Um, and you know, you know, I think one thing that's nice or important to point out is that you don't need to be an expert to use these tools. Like, you can just dig in and and get going. And in our blog post, we kind of own that. We said that we originally wanted to compile Postgres to to uh, Wasm. Um, we didn't have the technical skills to do that. Uh, so we just used this V86 project. You said, that's that's exactly what I wanted to get to. So, like we're web developers, we don't know enough C, yeah. is what you said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's what I thought was really fascinating. The traditional way of people using WASM is they take an application like Photoshop and rather than compile it to run on Mac and then they compile it to run on Linux, then they add a new one that says compile it to run on WASM in theory on I'm leaving a lot of stuff uh, under the hood or brushing that under the table. But what you guys did was you said something different. You said rather than compile the application down to WASM, we're going to run it inside a virtual machine. And that virtual machine knows how to run in WASM. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's almost, it's almost cheating, I'd say. So let's talk about this approach because 
there are like pros and cons here. So my immediate reaction was, well, there's a con, which now you've potentially got multiple layers of, shall we say, emulation, right, or simulation, because you've got WASM on top of a VM, depending on how you're counting from the top or the bottom. But the pro is this feels like a very generic approach to take almost any tool and run it in the browser. Like, you don't have yeah. to use this approach for just Postgres. Like, do you want to walk us through any other pros or cons? Do you agree or disagree with that take? No, I, I absolutely agree. So I almost feel as if once this technique becomes more well-known, that it's like opening up Pandora's box. And there's really nothing very difficult once you understand the, the first few um, uh, hurdles in order to use it for anything else. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I, see, I see that as a pro. Um, I agree. Obviously, we don't want to slow everything down and download giant binaries and have like layers on top of layers on top of layers, but are we, we're, we're kind of there already. Do we add another one? I don't know. I don't know. I feel I feel bad just saying that. So. What what's one additional layer of abstraction between friends and frameworks and meta frameworks on top of yeah. So yeah, like why not? If the great unlock is that we're truly getting right ones from anywhere. And I you you took you have the right words for it. You guys have opened the Pandora's box, I feel, for almost anything running in the browser. This this approach feels so generic. You can take maybe not Photoshop, but you can take almost any like text-based terminal application, which means almost any piece of server software. And you know, assuming it sits within the memory requirements, which are somewhat limited, um, you should be able to run them with the same approach. You right? You basically took a VM that's running on Wasm. You have a very lightweight version of Linux running on that that VM, and then you put whatever server software you need, like, what can't you run on that? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, totally. I, I, I don't know. And I think we should push it a little bit as a community and figure out where it sucks, because once we know where it sucks, we can improve it. Yeah. So the next step for me that I would think is like, and you, you outlined a bunch of next steps. When I, I take a more medium term, like, why not just go ahead and stick the node server in there too with the Postgres server and then heck, you know, put visual code in there as well. Um, Let's see how like many things just... we can break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, have you guys thought about that? Have you experimented with that? Like that seems like the logical roadmap for this. Um, we, ha we haven't, but there's like, there's something about composability that I, I'd really like to play with kind of like having the semantics of maybe open, opening up a browser tab to localhost 3000 slash uh, database name mm -hmm. and then opening up another tab and saying, and like opening up localhost 3000 dash second database name and connecting to both those databases or separately um, based on like, I don't know if what I'm saying is make, making sense, but it would be really cool if you could compose the application that you're building in different tabs and have those all communicate to one it's like another. Micro, it's like microservices backend database structure. Yeah, yeah, kind of. It's, yeah, yeah microservices for each service is a tab. Yeah. Oh, crazy. 
And, and what if like each database or or like each snapshot of your database were a different tab and you just kind of like turn one on or off? I, I don't know. I, I'm, uh, I mean, it would I'm, make sense. I, I have like 30 tabs open pretty much all the time. So. <laughs> like, why is Chrome using uh, 500 gigabytes of memory? <laughs> yeah, no, this is, and and you know, we often think about having these different services as, you know, you've got 10 services that capture the state of a system, let's say, right? But, you know, you might want to go backwards and forwards in time or across environments, right? In, you know, one state of the system in production, there might there's 10 services, but then you've got the staging version of the system, which is another 10 services. And maybe you want to mix and match those components across. And this gets into what you guys do at Snaplet, but it's that ability to, if you then could take out, like, what happens if I just roll out this update to this one service, one out of the nine, I can easily simulate that very closely in my local system by just updating that tab and leaving the other nine the same uh, in a very easy way to just look at the system and see how it might behave. Um, I mean, that sounds, that sounds extremely compelling. Um, I went MongoDB. I went to mongodb.com slash blah. I got MongoDB. I wanted Postgres. I went to this other address, and then you just compose them in the, you know over the network. Ah, it's interesting. It's really interesting, kind of like Unix pipes. You know, each tab does is like a Unix command does one thing well, and you can just hook them all together. I mean, that sounds like a really compelling future. Uh, at least for being able to test and and teach, you know, these types of systems. Maybe not to actually host in production, but then you just need the right system that can take all that and translate to a production environment. Um, I mean, maybe we're drinking the Kool-Aid here, but it sounds pretty cool to me. <laughs> well, you know, it's like five years from now, we'll look back and listen to this and be like, oh, yeah, it's it's actually here. Or maybe it's still five years away. Or a year. Um, or a year. Um but that's a really, really good point about the composability. Are there other thoughts about, you know, what this future might look like or where you think the right way to take next steps are besides that? Because that, that was a really fascinating direction that I, I hadn't really thought too hard about in terms of. So, so for me, we're kind of like trying to solve this issue of you have this isolated production database that has data in it. It's yeah. a good, it's the data that your code runs against on your server. And then on your development machine, you have terrible data. It's not up to date. It doesn't look anything like production. Yeah. It sucks. So what I'd like to do is like mount a production accurate version of your database and then have the ability to code against that and then have the ability to promote that, that snapshot of your database to like a preview database or something and give you sort of superpowers, superpowers in terms of being able to move data around from environment to environment, from your local machine to a preview database that you can run in Netlify or against a preview deployment. Um, obviously not taking it as far as production because that doesn't make sense, but you as the developer having this ability to control the data uh, pipeline or to control the data that you were coding against in, in many different environments. So that's what how I think about this. Yeah, so then the production is more uh, I don't know, less buddy, I guess. I don't know, potentially. Yeah, totally. Because, I mean, how often have you found a bug in production or in production because you've made an assumption of what your data looked like during development 
because you actually exactly. didn't have the facts. You were, it was just assumptions. Uh, and I, yeah, that's the thing that I really hate about not having accurate data. You're guessing. I, for one, like having strong opinions based entirely on assumptions. It means I can always be right. <laughs> until until it meets the the market um so you know uh, so you guys did um you solved a bunch of problems um you know and there are a few there are a few that i thought were just really fascinating um like the one about the page poisoning flag uh being used for compression um i i cut my teeth doing device drivers and we had to do that to solve, you know, memory allocation issues. Um, but are there any, and, and here you're actually using it for a different purpose, which is just to compress the size of the, the image, but, and you, you detail them out in the blog post. Are there any others that jump out at you or like, this was the hardest problem to solve. And once we had it, like I knew we were on the right path or we were about to give up until we had this problem solved. You call up, for example, the help of Fabian, who's like, oh, I think there's a bug in the emulator. Uh, for V86, but just like, you know, you can read through the blog post and see the facts, but like at an emotional level, like where were the, the biggest roadblocks and, and the biggest ahas? So I, I can only speak to my own experience and I wasn't actually the person that wrote this code. I yeah. kind of, I think for me, the, the biggest roadblock was trying to convince people that we should do it. Um, and then once they did it, I kind of stood aside. Um, and I think I think Julian, if he if he feels up to it, he can speak a little bit more about the things that he found challenging. I I wasn't there, but and to give you some perspective, is like I probably went away for two days over the weekend. Snaplet is a company that we have four day work weeks, um, so I was away from Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and by Monday it seemed like everything was done. So Julian like couldn't sleep. This was one of those problems with that obsessed him. And yeah. Like, That's awesome. Wow. I would love to hear it, Julian, if you're up for it, bro. <laughs> Did send it in by. But that, that just speaks in uh, so many volumes. So that's just, it's fascinating. I know what it's like when you've got a problem you just want to get solved and you just, you know, move out hell and high water and you get so excited about solving it. Um, so, so one so of the things that I, uh, that I can remember is like building this image um, took an, an exceptional amount of time. You actually build it in, in you just literally walk away because it takes three or four hours and you come back and then it's broken and then you have to do it over and over and over again. So in building this image, we actually figured out optimizations um, to make Docker consume more memory or uh, like run more up in an optimized environment and we were like let's let's just use amazon let's like get a really beefy linux box or something but um we just ended up iterating over it a couple of times and and uh building that quicker very cool you know uh scott we passed blew through our station break because i think we we started a bit late let's uh pause for you to give a station yep. break and then after that you know i just want to open up to the audience uh, to raise their hands, there's a button at the bottom of bottom left. A bottom left, request, and request to come up. Request to come up and either contribute or ask a question uh, for Peter and the team. Um, but Scott, go ahead, give us the station break. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us today. Has this been awesome or what? And thank you to Peter and, uh, you know, his Snaplet team and everybody coming here today. Uh, it's been really cool hearing this thus far, and I'm sure we'll hear so much more, uh, you know, with everybody asking more questions and just diving deeper here. This has been an eventful uh, event, so thank you so much. Uh, yeah, JavaScript GM Live, that's where we are today. Um, we do this every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, we talk about everything JavaScript and web development related. And whether you're a beginner or you've been doing this for a very, very long time, it doesn't matter. We want to hear from everybody. In fact, that's where we get the most value uh, from these conversations is when the audience participates. And what I mean by that is just asking questions or even giving your own opinion or what that might be. Um, yeah, feel free to hit the request button and come on up and ask your question or uh, state your opinion. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. By the way, one last thing here. If you haven't uh, joined our newsletter yet, go ahead and do that by clicking on the JavaScript Jam logo there, going to JavaScript Jam Twitter, and clicking on subscribe. And that is going to give you so much value. Every week we put out all these awesome things that are going on, just like Peter's stuff. We've linked everything in there for him as well. Um, and, uh, you know, what's been going on with, with Superbase and Snaplet together there. Um, as well as like upcoming events and all kinds of cool stuff. So if you don't want to miss out on the latest tech, what's going on in the JavaScript world, uh, web development, all that, um, you need to get on that newsletter. Thank you so much. Ishan, back to you. Okay. So uh, feel free to raise your hand. You know, I, I thought what might be useful for folks is for them to understand how easy this is to try out and just walk folks through that. In fact, we probably should have opened with that because um, uh, it's kind of like the matrix. Like no one can really tell you what it is. Uh, you kind of have to experience it for yourself. Um, and it's, it's really darn simple. Um, you just need to, you know, do, if you're in front of your computer, follow along with me right now. Um, and you just type in um, <clears throat> WASM, W-A-S-M, dot superbase s-u-p-a-b-a-s-e dot com and it'll take you to a page um it'll have a couple instructions on it um there. you might want to copy and paste to where it says connecting to postgresql you'll see a part that says alter user postgres with password you don't have to remember what that says just copy that piece out um and then close that modal hit the start button you see on the right um, and uh, take the part that I just told you to, to copy and paste that into the prompt on the left. Um, and you basically have now set up a database, a Postgres database that somebody else can open a web browser to. Um, and what you'll see after I'm doing this in real time, so, well, my computer may be a little faster than others or slower, um, if you do what I just described, you you type you copy and paste that alter user. So you've set a password. You've started the virtual machine on the right. Um, at the bottom of your browser, you'll see a a command psql postgres with the URL, you know proxy wasm.superbase.com and a port number. Um, somebody else can go on their machine, run psql, which is the Postgres client software and connect to that database that's running in your browser. So in that window that you just typed in, say the password, you can then write a create database command and you know, open up your classic you know, SQL tutorial and 
find an example, copy and paste, like create database, create table, do an insert into for a few lines and create a database table. And then somebody else, another computer can go and query that database. And it's all running from within that browser tab you're looking at, um, which is just uh, totally amazing. Um, uh, anything I, I left out there uh, that you wanna highlight, uh, Peter, before I ask you my next question? No, I think I think you really described it quite wonderfully. It's it's maybe to the untrained or not the untrained eye, but like to people who don't fully grok what's happening there. It's it's fantastic. It feels like yeah. I, I just, yeah. So like the contrast is if you were trying to do this uh, the the conventional way, the way everyone else does, it's like brew install. Like you want to walk people through what that is, and then you mentioned like. Sometimes the server doesn't even start when you reboot your machine. So like, what does that alternative world look like? Yeah, so the alternative world is having to install this binary on your own computer. Uh, you don't generally want to grab the binary from PostgreSQL's website. Uh, so you use a package manager to install it. First, you install mm -hmm. the package manager boot. Then you update it, and then you install Postgres. And then there's a server running on your machine. Just this one server. Um, and it's sometimes really fragile. Like it, in some instances you reboot your machine and Mac OS doesn't shut down the server properly. So when your computer starts up again, it thinks that the server is still running, but it's not. And then you have to manually figure out how to delete this file. It's, you're basically maintaining a piece of software on your computer, um, which isn't, it's not a terrible thing to know how to do, but you're trying to build code, you're trying to build features and fix bugs and stuff. and you don't need to know about that right now. Yeah. To, a, to put it in perspective. Oh, yeah, go ahead. There's a, there's a really great Easter egg on your repo where you have the instructions of basically you're like, step one, clone it down. Oh, I had nothing to command. say. Sorry. <laughs> like, step one, clone it down, run the server command. Step two, there is no step two. <laughs> I love that. The, my, well, put it in perspective for me is I was trying to connect to it from another machine that I have. And it took me longer to install the SQL client that talks to the server using the package manager that Peter was just talking through than it did to open the window and start up the server. Like, it was and just I, like... I think that's I just, also... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, like being able to connect from one machine to your own machine, you yeah. probably have to set up Postgres so that it does that. Uh, it probably only allows connections from the local computer. So... There's a lot yeah, that, that actually gets me to the next place I want to get to. So the one piece that's kind of uh, a limitation is the network connect, like the server is running on your browser, but the network connection such that other outside machines, you know, like Anthony could be running it from where he is to connect to my version of Postgres in my browser. That required, you know, some proxying. Do you want to walk? folks through how that works? Yeah, I, I'm, I, I can only speak about it vaguely because I, only, I, only, I don't know the specifics, but essentially there's a Python script uh, that is a WebSocket proxy, like a server that is hosted somewhere. And your browser communicates via WebSockets to this proxy. Um, and actually, you can open up the, there's in the, in the, in the, um, 
in the Postgres WASM repo, there's a runtime, um, a runtime package. And inside there, there's the index.html file. And you can see the address to the proxy. Superbase created their own proxy that they hosted, but there is another one um, that's kind of open that you can just use, but it's incredibly flaky. Um, so essentially what you're doing is creating like a TCP to WebSocket uh, um, proxy. And that's how that works because um, the browser cannot do raw socket connections. Uh, can only do WebSocket connections. And my understanding is uh, the WASM isolation also can't talk to TCP IP natively anyways. Is that correct? That's correct, and, yeah. And so basically to solve the problem that no one can connect into your web page, which would be a massive kind of sandbox violation, um, and the fact that WASM, you know, part of its security isolation is very limited in what it can go in and out. You had to set up a server on the internet that Superbase is hosting to just relay data back and forth. Um, but it sounds like if people want to set up their own version of that relay, there's an open source version in the repo. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a package in there. Do you think it's possible, and, and I'm a little out over my ski tips here that something like WebRTC could be used for people to communicate with maybe the proxy being there to just set up the nodes to be able to know who they are, but the actual communication path could be entirely from browser to browser. Um, you know, the, the WASM boundary issue might be, you know, harder, but the fact that you could then get the tabs talking to each other, I don't know if you guys have talked about that, or maybe the right answer is we don't know, we haven't tried it. Um, it's actually, we were just talking about it, myself and Julian, um, but we haven't tried it, but it, it is super interesting. Okay, that is definitely something I'm going to be paying attention to. Uh, great to hear you guys are, are talking about that. And you know, um, like, yeah. it, the, the points, the places that are interesting, if you think about it, like this is a VM yeah. inside of a, like an isolated environment. IO is the hard part, like, because they're built in a way yeah. so that there aren't ways out of that. But then we have cool APIs. We have like file system API. We have like drag and drop. We have, we have WebSockets and we have WebRTC. How do we use web technologies? How do we leverage the things that we know really well to break into this like VM or WASM world um, and to expand it, like to make it more accessible? Um, those, are, those are the questions that I want to answer. It would be great to, to collaborate on that and get people uh, contributing to the repo. I think it's fascinating actually from a, like a less technical user perspective as well like to, to build off what you're talking about one of the features you have is the ability to restore and upload the state just from the drag and drop you know or or save file you know blob api so just like you're used to downloading a regular file uh off the internet or you upload you know your photos you can use that same api to uh to, to you know, take the database state and save it as a snapshot, send it to somebody, and they can upload it into a, the same type of window and recreate it. Um, I think that's extremely fascinating. Um, is that kind of along the lines of what you were thinking of? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. So this could be like um, a, a week. It's kind of fun, and I, I used to say this annoying thing. Like I said it deliberately to be annoying, which maybe is not the right reason to say something. But I used to say JavaScript is the OS. <laughs> um, but I feel like maybe there's there's something there. So yeah, hey, does this also mean that we're like extremely at the edge because we're in the browser. <laughs> the, yeah it's, you're at the client you're, it's a good way to put it like you can't get any closer to the edge than in the, the user's hand um speaking of which have you tried this i should have tried this but it only occurs to me now have you tried this on a mobile device like does it does the client run on in an iphone and ios uh, um, and android browser mark from uh from uh Superbase actually got it running in his amazon fire stick <laughs> there's a there's a yeah really funny it's like on his tv um <laughs> there's a there's a there's a screenshot or a, a photo in the in our discord server oh that's awesome boy and, and i thought my kids were bored when i bring up nova or frontline um here's here's some database tables kids uh, it's like that, dad TV. can we watch some tv you're like no i'm busy <laughs> <laughs> no, we're no, learning I'm... inner and outer joints today kids i'm good <laughs> i'm optimizing queries leave me alone oh wow um boy uh I, I i thought my dad humor was bad enough for punishment for them but um that's awesome I, i'm gonna go find that photo so um i know we're coming up on the top of the hour uh peter so um if you've just got a few more minutes um the question i'd like to ask you is you know You've hinted a little bit about it, but what do you think's next up for this project? We kind of talked about some really fascinating directions, but maybe there's some near-term things you want that the team wants to get settled. What like should folks look forward to in let's say, you know, the next few weeks and then maybe, you know, and half a year from now, just kind of a medium and, and short term. Um, I think some of the intriguing stuff for us that we'd like to explore is like inter-process or inter-tab communication. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of like drag and drop abilities, file system access, that kind of stuff. Like the IO things for us are really interesting. We don't have specifics. Like our, our like, yeah, I don't have specifics. Okay. And then what type of reception, you know, have you seen so far uh, to it? Um, have other people reached out to you? Um, what have you seen? I don't know if, if you know Crunchy Data has you've talked to them at all about you know what they were working on. I'm, I don't know if they ever even reached out to you and you said let's create an open source version of them. I'd be curious um, if they did or not. But uh, what what are you seeing in terms of reception from folks in the community? So so from from my experience, I think the reception was really really great. Um, it stayed on the front page of Hacker News. It, it reached number one and stayed on the front page of Hacker News for, I think, more than 24 hours, which was surprising to me. Maybe we got lucky and there was just nothing interesting happening that day. <laughs> but um, I kept watching and going up and down and never falling off. Um, we we got an awesome vanity metric, which is GitHub stars. Um, we have 802, which feels really good. Um, yeah, other than that, like just general buzz in the community uh 
the reception was really, really great. There was only one person that said, thanks, uh, I hate it. And they got flag- <laughs> flagged by the Hacker News community. So all in all, pretty good. <laughs> I, I did see one person when I tweeted about it who responded with, yeah, we can do this. Should we do this? And I responded <laughs> with the, the Jurassic Park. They're, they're too concerned of whether they could. They never asked. Uh, they uh well awesome well yeah go ahead sorry i was was just gonna say that you know with the with all that that you've had i mean i i was even gonna bring that up but you brought it up anyway was that you know the hacker news and being you know trending number one for as long as you did which is amazing um and all this traction that you're getting from that you know growing off of this momentum you know keeping keeping it going because you said earlier you said one of the hardest parts was convincing people to do it right and then you found a few of those people that are like really committed to it you know like julian you know he was like working vigorously over a whole weekend right (laughs) probably didn't sleep at all and because he's passionate about it right and he became passionate about it because he discovered it and then decided hey sorry i think i just connected uh, you're just saying it was a labor of love and like and what you're saying scott like i shared it with you because i thought it was cool and i was like hey this is really interesting it's like this whole conversation is starting because of it right so b- grow off the momentum that's already being built up from this initial launch essentially and keep pushing at it go go on uh, as many spaces as you can and go to you know uh you know i don't know i think there's there's a lot to be had here and the potential for it is, is really cool i think it really could become something that, that um, a lot of people start to utilize. They didn't even realize it, you know. <laughs> so yeah, to to that end, do you think it's going to influence, you know, the super base and Snaplet roadmaps? You might still be having connection issues. Oh, okay. I was also yeah. thinking that Rob Cameron, who's in the crowd right now, probably hates this because he loves SQLite, and if, if you just make it easier for people to use. Post- there's not going to use SQLite. light <laughs> well there's there's no reason you can't take the same architecture and run sql light um and there have been some great sql light you know there was absurd sql there was the stuff fresky did where he ran the sql light client in the browser which i thought was really fascinating work i just kind of played around with that just because i thought it was so cool to just try it out one night um and basically that project, you know, compiled, you'd basically stick a SQLite database on just some anywhere. And then they compiled the SQLite client to Wasm. And then it runs in the browser and you just make SQL queries from like your React app. And it goes and it, it runs the entire database in your browser just to query this, this random file. But why can I run yeah. SQL Server? Well, it it effectively ran SQL Server in a sense because it ran the code, it ran the server code effectively in the browser. Wait, but that's not SQL Lite then. SQL Server is Microsoft's thing. Oh, you mean SQL Server? I thought you meant the server. I mean SQL Server. Yeah, most brilliantly named product, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, I I don't know. Uh, That's that's a TBD. Um, uh, But uh, let's see if we got uh, Peter back. Uh, Peter, if you can, you can hear us. Um, 
Yeah, like, I invited him back up. <laughs> oh, okay, there we go. Um, uh, so Peter, where we left off, if if you can still hear, was you know, do you following up what Scott was saying? Like this could, this is going to be a big thing and building off it. Do you think it'll influence the roadmaps of you know yourself at Snaplet and Superbase? Um, I I can't really speak for Superbase. Um, I, I and I don't know, um, but for us. You know, one of the things that we're trying to do is give people data and a database to code against. And I think yeah. there's an opportunity for us to use Postgres WASM to be the database on your local machine uh, and to put data, yep. data in it for you in a, in a quick and efficient way. Um, well, we're exploring that. And I'd love, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, this is, this is really cool. Um, well, we're a little past the uh, hour mark. Um, I want to remind folks if they want to get one audience question in to raise their hand. Um, otherwise, you know, uh, Peter, I just, you know, want to thank you for, for joining us and the team uh, behind it, you know, at, at Snaplet and Superbase. Um, and how can, can people best get involved if they want to be part of this? I'd say really uh, join us on, on Discord. And if you don't want to do that, then um, check out the repo and maybe create an issue. But I get the sense that we have a quite a nice community on Discord, and I'd love for people to join us there. And uh, you want to share with me the Discord? I can put it in the group there. Um, oh, yeah, you can share with me. You can go to uh, www or you can go to www.snapchat. No, it's app. .snapple.dev for slash chat according to your website. There we go. That's the one. <laughs> so, I, so, so I can go to Snapple and find it. Here, um, I'm copying it right now. I, I got it, Scott. Don't worry. Thanks, Dean. Appreciate it. Okay. Well, uh, you know, thank you, Peter. Thank you to our speakers today. Uh, you know, Scott, do you want to take us out? Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so thank you all so much for joining us. Oh, hold on. We have a request here. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Last second. That's it. It's all good. We love it. Uh, let's let's hear. Uh, or forever hold your peace. Or forever hold your peace, yeah. Andrew, what, what's up, dude? You're connecting. Everyone hey. hear me properly? You can. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, I just wanted, it's not really a question I wanted to ask, but... Uh, just more like a reaction. I I heard uh, at the start of this space, like Peter, you you mentioned that uh, the way you did that was kind of cheating by uh, you know using uh, the the v, uh, uh, the the emulator to to run the the Postgres. But actually, I I think it was it's not really uh, cheating. It's really just a really innovative way to think about how you want to run something in in a WVI sim because actually WebAssembly is still early. I mean, there is a ton of blockers, like, uh, as you mentioned, networking and stuff like that. A lot of stuff were just not implemented. And if you want to do this kind of thing the right way, like if you want to compile PostgreSQL into pure uh, WebAssembly, it's probably not possible. I mean, and if you uh, tell me like you you will 
make PostgreSQL run into WebAssembly, I would probably have said, uh, you, you can do that. It, it, it will just not build, you know? And uh, so seeing how uh, you did it and how the little tricks have been done, like, uh, as you mentioned, uh, using the lazy reading for the, the file systems, uh, all that kind of stuff, uh, I think it's really, really great. Like, uh, to me, it's amazing. I, we can, I think now it's, a, I don't know if it will be used, I mean, like realistically, like in a day-to-day -day environment or stuff like that. But anyway, I think it's a really good documentation for everyone, everyone who want to start playing with WebAssembly. And I mean, it's basically something that, yeah, I would have thought impossible and now, well, I see that it can be done, you know? So it's, it's, uh, I think it's really great what we did there. Yeah, I love that. Uh, really quick, I just want to piggyback off of that because it's like there's this saying, um, you know, like the, so the, there's, there was someone who, uh, I can't remember his name, but he broke the record for running like, um, you know, fastest, uh, I think four minute like, mile. Four minute mile. Yeah, that was it. And, the, and so he ran the four minute mile and, and so because he ran that four minute mile, that meant he could do it, right? That you, it's possible, right? Um, and so therefore, boom, the next, the next person beats that. And then, then, you know what I'm saying? It just continue, and they, someone else did it and someone else did it and someone else did it. And so uh, because you've opened this, you know, like, like you kind of said, you opened like this Pandora's box kind of thing potentially, right? And, and I very much think that's a real thing. Like if you show that it can be done, now a lot of other things are going to be happening and other people are going to be doing that as well. I, I love it. So uh, thanks for saying that, Andrew. And Peter, I don't, if you want to say something to it as well, please. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I really love the sentiment. And I think um, if anyone else wants to run anything in, in a Linux container in, in, in WASM, like reach out to us and, and you're struggling, reach out to us. We can, we can try and distill some of the knowledge that we gained. Um, to help you do that. We're more than happy to share. Yeah, it's, it's a huge unlock, as as you mentioned, I think, uh, in so many directions. Pandora's box has been opened. Also, allegedly, the first four mile was ran in 1770. Well, did you know? What? A long time ago. Yeah. It's not who Scott was referring to, but someone who historically lays claim to it. They couldn't track time accurately back then. No, it the, the chronometer was just invented, according to the Wikipedia article. Did okay. you just go and edit Wikipedia to add that in? Yeah. Uh, I'm the inventor of the chronometer. Yeah, but but Andrew, I just want to reiterate what you said. It's it's just amazing, um, and it's it's going to be an interesting lesson for the future. Um, so thank you for contributing that reaction. Um, uh, Scott, I'll let you uh, continue where you were leaving off. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, and Andrew, thanks so much for stopping us, man. That was really worth it. I, I appreciate the, the, the... Thanks, everyone. Yeah. All right, y'all. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Remember, JavaScript Jam goes live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join us here. We have awesome speakers coming up, uh, just like Peter and his crew and, uh, you know, so many more. So, uh, and maybe uh, we'll have Peter on again in the future. We would love to have him. Uh, he's been great and, and amazing and everything here. And and Julian uh, and and 
and um, you know his team. If if they want to, feel free to, you know, chat it up with us later. We'd love that too. Maybe we do more of a traditional uh, podcast, you know, where we uh, record it and uh, go from there versus, you know, live. So, and uh, it could be edited if you want it to be. <laughs> Either way, yes, Julian claps his hands. Okay, so I think he might be for that. Uh, but yes, thank you all so much for joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. Remember, if you got value from anybody up here on the stage today, please click on their face, follow them if you're not already, because if you got value from them here, guess what? You're probably going to get, you're probably going to get value from them elsewhere. Right. And don't we all want to be a part of the, you know, innovators of the world? Come on. Yeah. Just follow. It'll be fun. (laughs) Not just that. We would also love and follow on JavaScript jam. And like I said before, if you're not in our newsletter already and you want to not miss out on all the amazing tech uh, innovative things coming up in the tech world, uh, JavaScript and web development, then you know what? Click on that and go and subscribe as well. We would love for you to be a part of that. Not just that, we love to highlight our community folks in there as well um, and, and help promote you guys too. It's all about building everybody else up and creating thought leadership. And that's what we're here for. And that's what we love doing. So love you guys so, so much. Let's give a big clap and a round of applause and all the hearts and everything to Peter and his gang up here. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Love it. Fantastic. Cool. Thank you all. Have so, so, so many much. more emojis. Twice as many emojis as before. I know, right? There's so many. Oh, this is so good. All right, y'all. Thank you so, so much. Greatly appreciate it. And we will see you next week. We'll see you guys next time.